What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here on behalf of the podcast. Kyle, uh, seems we are having some immense technical struggles this evening. Yeah, as far as the audio is concerned, that's not the issue whatsoever. It's strictly a visual issue. Uh, we typically use Discord for just the video conferencing aspect of the podcast and unfortunately um, there's some major lag issues um not on my side it's on uh, kevin's visual like it's just it's laggy to the point where it would just be a a distraction to whoever's watching it so what we're going to do a little bit differently for this episode is when we post our individual segments on youtube basically i'm just going to throw the thumbnail to that corresponding video segment when those videos are uploaded to YouTube. So that's going to be the uh, adjustment that we're going to make for this episode specifically because we've been using Discord for a damn near, what, four or five months, maybe even six months. We've never had this I was about to say it's before. been a minute, yeah. Yeah, so it's probably just a one-time thing. Um, it should get resolved by the next episode, but just for this one, we're just going to have to wing it and then just make adjustments from here on out. But... Kevin, with that said, though, we have an amazing episode to dive into. A lot of topics to get to. Ready to dive into it and get get straight to it? Hell yeah. Before y'all come at me sideways, man, I ain't got no Mickey D's internet, bro. I swear to God, I have a faster milli-whatever per second than Kyle does, so let me live. No, like I said, this has never been an issue until now, but you just got to go with it. But um, no, let's... Dive into these topics. We got a lot to get to. Uh, Devontae Adams getting traded to the Raiders. Von Miller going to the Bills. The Chargers are fully reloaded on the defensive side of the ball to correspond with what their offense is going to present. The Rams look unfucking stoppable after they added Allen Robinson. We've narrowed it down to two teams for Deshaun Watson to potentially go to with the Falcons and the Saints. Uh, Baker Mayfield is requesting a trade. The Browns aren't necessarily gung-ho on making that happen, but there's been some rumors that Baker could potentially go to the Colts. He will get traded. We, we'll flip it to the NBA for a little bit. We'll talk a little bit about the state of the Golden State Warriors, no pun intended, um, with Steph Curry out indefinitely after he suffered a sprained knee ligament against the Boston Celtics just a couple nights ago. Talk about Luka Doncic and his MVP stock, which seems to be gaining a lot of momentum at this current moment in time. And then we'll flip it to the MLB for the last segment. And that'll be just Freddie Freeman going to the Dodgers. And essentially, when you look at the roster that the Dodgers have assembled, it is literally a version of the MLB's Avengers because of how powerful that lineup is going to be for LA going into the season. That's pretty much the agenda that we have. Let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into it, and let's dive into this Devontae Adams trade that essentially flipped essentially the internet and the NFL upside down. Uh, Devontae Adams was traded from the Green Bay Packers to the Las Vegas Raiders. There were some draft picks involved, but Devontae Adams did agree to a new five-year deal, which is upwards of over $140 million over the lifetime of that contract. The Raiders add a number one receiver, if not arguably the best wide receiver in the NFL to their roster to go alongside Darren Wallen and Hunter Renfro on that side of the ball. And it's also kind of cool because Devontae Adams 
and Derek Carr link up once again. They used to be college teammates back in the day. They now link up and form a pretty solid duo between Carr and Devontae Adams moving forward. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, just how significant was this trade that involved Devontae Adams going to the Las Vegas Raiders? Well, like everybody else, immensely shocked. Um, Something that threw me for an absolute loop. And I know that, you know, Kyle made the point when we made our predictions on whether or not he would stay. He did call Aaron staying in Green Bay and he did call Devontae leaving because obviously financially they weren't going to be able to suit both of them. And, you know, obviously with rumors coming out that they were going to tag him, he refused to sign on the tag. And then they offered him $23 million a year and he declined and said, I'm not going to play on this deal. Um, I'm not even kidding. The fact that he was traded to the Raiders didn't really make much sense to me uh, because they're not as good as Green Bay was. Um, Derek Carr is not as good as Aaron Rodgers is. I get it. It's all about the money, especially for younger players. I, I can't even say like younger players because Aaron Rodgers wants the bag and he went and chased out 45 million a year as a quarterback. So they just seem like very too selfish and too self-centered individuals chasing money rather than winning. And um, at the end of the day, I mean, good for them. I don't necessarily see this making a difference because they're just going to double and triple team because, I mean, yes, Hunter Renfro is a great talent and Darren Waller is arguably when healthy, one of the best tight ends in football, but without a consistent run game, Josh Jacobs hasn't necessarily been healthy. Um, Derek Carr has not been necessarily known to be able to carry a consistent play throughout an entire season. Uh, They have no postseason wins, obviously. So this is going to be basically Devontae Adams taking a step back, in my professional opinion, because at least Green Bay is going to get you to the divisional bare minimum with a good record and give you an opportunity to compete later into the postseason. So I don't know what they're going to do here. Um, I don't know how this is going to make them better in the sense of how they're going to be able to advance. I know that Devontae Adams brings a whole different dynamic to an offense, but again, just I don't have faith in Derek. And then – at the end of the day as well, uh, I think that Green Bay didn't get paid enough. I mean, honestly, like Kyle said, this is arguably a top receiver in the league. And they only got a first this year and a second this year. That's it. Somebody in the prime of their career, someone that plays this consistent, this hard, that puts up numbers the way that he does, should have bare minimum got at least two or three first-round picks, in my opinion. But again, it's a wide receiver. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess I understand it, but I mean, kudos to Vegas for pulling it off. Um, I think Shefty reported about two, three hours ago that Aaron Rodgers has not officially signed his contract yet. So, um, rumors are, are kind of spiraling right now saying that now that Devontae is gone, is Aaron going to put pen to paper? Well, when I look at Devontae going to the Las Vegas Raiders, I think it's an immediate upgrade to their wide receiver core. When you add somebody like Devontae Adams's caliber. I mean, that's going to be a dangerous situation in that wide receiver core. And really, any sort of opposing defense is going to have their hands full, knowing that you have to defend Devontae Adams, who's arguably the best wide receiver in the NFL. Hunter Renfro is one of the best slot receivers in the NFL at this current moment in time. He really had an up-and-coming year and really stood out for the Raiders this past season. And Darren Waller, despite the fact that he did kind of tail off towards the second half of the season, He was one of Derek Carr's most favorite targets on a consistent basis last year and then the earlier parts of this past season. And you can't slight on Darren Waller because he is one of the best tight ends in the game just because he is an absolute target machine. Now, when I look at 
Vegas. I think Vegas had to make this move simply just because when you look at the AFC West as a whole right now, that entire division is reloading at an unbelievable clip. Just because when you look at the Los Angeles Chargers, they added some great defensive pieces like Khalil Mack and JC Jackson. Denver added Russell Wilson into the fold to go alongside some up-and-coming studs like Jerry Judy, Javante Williams, Tim Patrick. Those are some really good assets that Denver has in the fold to go along with a really stout defense. And then you got KC, who has pretty much owned the AFC West the last couple years. And they've been basically unstoppable just with Patrick Mahomes and the success that the Kansas City Chiefs have had since he's been the starting quarterback for them. So with the Raiders, the Raiders are now in the mix. I mean, the Raiders were a playoff team this past season, and that was despite the fact they had so much turmoil with losing John Gruden as their head coach last season. They had the Damon Arnett situation. that They had the Henry Ruggs situation. They were still able to make the playoffs, and they had a competitive game against the Bengals in that wild card round. Now you're going into next season with Devontae Adams linking up with Derek Carr once again. They were college teammates before they both went to the NFL. And I imagine that they're going to be able to reignite that chemistry fairly quickly because they'll have an entire offseason to get that ready to go. Now, granted, I don't know if it's going to be as stout as the chemistry that Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams had. But still, I think that's going to be a very great relationship that Derek Carr and Devontae are going to be able to establish and carry on for the for the foreseeable future in Vegas. Overall, when you look at Josh McDaniels, Josh McDaniels has only been there for a couple of weeks as a new head coach for the Vegas Raiders. But this is really one way to establish yourself as the new head coach to bring in someone like Devontae Adams. He is clearly the number one wide receiver for this team. And then to go alongside Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller, this offense has the potential to be very scary. And honestly, they need to be just to stay at pace with the rest of the AFC West. Because offensively, they got to deal with the Chiefs, who got Patrick Mahomes. They got to deal with the Chargers, who have Justin Herbert. And they got Russell Wilson to deal with in Denver. So when you look at the grand scheme of what the AFC West currently is right now, it's unbelievably loaded. And with the Raiders making this move, I'm in full agreement. They needed to make this move, and I'm glad that they were able to secure one of the best wide receivers in the market. Honestly, probably the best wide receiver in the game. And this puts them right in the fold to be in a very competitive AFC West next season. That's just how I see it. Yeah, no, and I, I mean, I'm just remembering and then, of course, looking at the other offseason acquisitions. And, of course, you know, they acquired Chandler Jones. They uh, acquired Rockison from the Colts, and they traded in Gakwe. Uh, and then, you know, they're, they're, they're really pushing to try to get Stephon Gilmore from the Panthers. So, I mean, like, the Raiders are having a very good offseason. Let's not discredit them. I was just kind of saying, like, if Derek Carr can't get it done, yes, adding another weapon does give him, I guess, like a lot less stress to have to worry about. But he is legitimately one of the most doubled receivers in the league. And... Derek isn't the greatest decision maker in the world, so I feel like him being on the field is going to make Derek feel like he has to force it to Devontae. And apparently numbers came out that Green Bay had offered him more money than Vegas did, but he just apparently, it was a lifelong dream to go and play for the Raiders. So 
I don't know exactly how this happened, but it it got done. Well, honestly, there were some reports that I was reading about the situation that was going on between Devontae and Green Bay, and it really seemed like that relationship had run its course. And I remember when Aaron Rodgers had that deal agreed to, he had already kind of known about the situation that was brewing between the front office of the Packers and Devontae, and it seemed like it was past the point of no return. So it seemed like that bridge was burned as far as Devontae going back to Green Bay. But overall, you know, when you look at Devontae's situation, I mean, Devontae gets, Kevin, I mean, this is a bag. I mean, he's damn near getting paid about $30 million a year, which is around the target area that he was initially looking for uh, when it came to these initial contract negotiations. I mean, he's just settling under that. It's around, I think, like $28.5 million per year. I think that's like the average uh, for the lifetime of this contract, which is, for a wide receiver, it's just outstanding. So I, I'm not going to begrudge Devontae Adams going out and getting his money. Now, whether it's going to result in the Raiders going for a Super Bowl title, that's another conversation entirely. But as far as Devontae is concerned, listen, this is probably the biggest contract that he's ever going to get in his life. It's a five-year contract. He's 29 years old right now. So if you were to run out the entire length of the contract, he'd be 34 going into 35 years old when this contract ends. And at that point, you know, Devontae is going to probably be the, at the end of his career. So this was his big payday. He got it. I'm, I'm not going to begrudge the guy for going out and getting his money. But it's like I said, it's kind of a double-edged sword. You know, just because you get paid this amount of money doesn't necessarily guarantee a Super Bowl run. And we'll just kind of see how it goes with Vegas. But I think Vegas was in a situation where they needed to pull the trigger on this trade just to keep pace with the rest of their division. Because, Kevin, I, I think it's fair to say at this point that the AFC West is by far and away the best division in football right now. Yeah, no, especially with Seattle kind of falling apart in the West and, uh, you know, San Francisco trying to move at quarterback right now. You, you can't really say that they are right now, especially with everything that's going on in this specific division. I, I would have to agree, yeah. Well, it's the AFC, not the NFC. No, I was saying the uh, the NFC in terms of there, the NFC. There's, there's no other division that I think really competes with this right now. Because I, I remember we used to say like the NFC West for the last That's what I was years. saying. That, yeah, because of just well, now with Russell being gone and ironically yeah. enough going to that division, Seattle's in a full rebuild. So yeah. that's why I said that the West now is going to be it because all four of them are competitive as opposed to there's only three. Yeah, and, and the thing is, when you look at the AFC West, the, you know, the Chargers and Denver, they, I mean, they've definitely reloaded too. But those were two teams that missed the playoffs last year. Granted, you know, the Chargers didn't get in on the last game of the year because they lost to the Raiders in probably one of the best games of the year in that Week 18 matchup. But overall, I, it's, I mean, you could honestly say at this point that those are four playoff caliber teams and it it might be unfortunate to see like one one or two of those teams miss the playoffs just because they're just gonna battle it out between each other and there's gonna be a winner or a loser when it's all said and done yeah i don't have faith in vegas so i i think that vegas will probably miss it and it has nothing to do with any patriot or animosity towards anybody i just oakland always starts off hot man they'll do like a two three four and oh and then they'll like lose four or five in a row and then they'll kind of go on an up and down slump for the remainder of the year every single year and i don't trust mcdaniels as the head coach we saw what happened in denver i know different time different era different team but uh yeah i just i don't know i don't think it's a successful formula for victory but 
we can end up talking about this particular division all night if we don't stop because I know we still have a lot to get to for sure. Yeah, we'll, we're not going to switch gears. We're going to switch divisions. Uh, we're going to kick it over to the AFC East, and we're going to talk a little bit about the Bills and signing Von Miller to a huge six-year deal. Like I said, six years, $120 million. And not only that, Buffalo was also a- able to add uh, tight end O.J. Howard from the Tampa Bay Bucks as well. So the Bills were really close to advancing to the AFC Championship game. Last year fell a little bit short against Kansas City in the divisional round. But all in all, you have to look at the Bills. They've made some major upgrades, not only to the offensive side of the ball with O.J. Howard, but on the defensive side of the ball, adding somebody like Von Miller's caliber to that side of the ball. It's absolutely incredible to a defense that is already scary to begin with. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, with Von Miller going to the Buffalo Bills, do you think this improves their chances of possibly getting a Super Bowl, a Super Bowl run next season? 100%. I mean, what was their biggest issue uh, against the Chiefs in the last couple of years? Getting stops. They don't really they, – they rush the passer well. They have a top-rated defense. And, of course, ironically, now you guys can see. I'm using my air quote fingers here. Uh, you know, but did that reflect when it, when, it, when it came down to crunch time? Vaughn Miller made an immediate impact when he was on the Rams. Granted, he missed the first game, and he, it took him a while to get acclimated to the system. But came, come end of the season and the postseason, Vaughn Miller was a man on a mission. Vaughn Miller was a guy that could not be stopped. He showed that he still had plenty left in the tank to make a team competitive. Now he has two rings from two different organizations. He's in his 30s, and this is his second $100 million contract in his career. And when this ends, he will damn near be 40. So I don't necessarily agree with the length. Um, The number is huge. I think that him playing the way that he played this past season showed that he still has high value. I just think Buffalo really overspent here. And if Von Miller does rack up another injury or if he doesn't immediately produce – I feel like Buffalo is going to be under the microscope to be like, wow, they just like absolutely overpaid for somebody well past his prime. So I like this for Buffalo. It was very much needed. It was a position in which they were lacking. And not to say that, again, they couldn't rush the passer. But when you have a championship caliber veteran presence in the locker room like Von Miller, who can speak to the struggles that Buffalo has gone through, uh, I believe that he is going to take them to the next level for sure. Well, I think overall, when you look at the status or the status of the Bills at this current moment in time, the Bills, I think, have always been one of the most well-rounded teams in the NFL just because their offense is very explosive with Josh Allen at the helm. But it's really been their defense that has been one of the best defensive units throughout the entire league. And now that you add somebody like Von Miller's caliber to that side of the football, it improves their pass rush immensely. And the thing is, you know, Von Miller ha- has gone through some injuries. He's missed some time, and it's definitely impacted his play. But I thought last year, you know, being able to make an immediate impact for the Rams after he got traded from Denver, he was one of the biggest reasons on why that Rams defense was able to rise to the occasion throughout the entire playoff run last year, which resulted in winning a Super Bowl. And the thing is, you know, Von Miller. He's been one of the more consistent pass rushers that we've seen in this generation, really the last decade or so. And when you go to a team like Buffalo, it's like you mentioned, Kevin. I think the one thing that that defense was missing a little bit was a consistent pass rush. And now that you had somebody like Von Miller 
to that side of their front four. That is going to be a nightmare for opposing offensive lines to deal with. It's just overall, the Bills defense, when it came to crunch time, they didn't have somebody step up to make a big play when they needed it. And really, that that KC game in particular in the AFC Divisional Round, I mean, they allowed the Chiefs to go down the field in 13 seconds and kick a game-tying field goal that sent it into overtime where they ended up losing the game. Now, with Von Miller going to be in the fold for Buffalo next season, I think that he's that guy that Buffalo was missing in that playoff game against the Chiefs. And I think that when you look at Miller and the impact that he's going to bring, not only on the field, but in the locker room as well, he brings championship pedigree to that locker room, unlike a lot of players in Buffalo. And I think when you have somebody in the locker room that's gone through not one Super Bowl run, but two Super Bowl runs, I think that actually, I think he's gone through three Super Bowl runs. They lost the one against Seattle when he was on the roster in Denver. But that's invaluable to have, not just on the field, but in the locker room. And I think he's going to be able to not only help them just from a psychological perspective, but when the going gets tough, I think he's going to be the difference maker on that defensive side of the ball. I mean, great that they've had some great players uh, in the last couple of years Tredavious White, Micah Hyde. They've had some great players that have made some good plays here and there. But I think Von Miller is going to be that missing piece that's going to take Buffalo to the next level. And Kevin, I mean, the Bills have been on the precipice for the last couple of years. They've fallen a little bit short. But I think that Von Miller is going to be a big piece for them moving forward. And if they were to go on, on a Super Bowl run next season or in the foreseeable future, I think Von Miller is going to be that missing piece that they've been lacking the last couple of years. It's going to be nuts, especially because we know that Von Miller is also a locker room guy. People rally around that. We all know that Josh Allen is a vocal leader. Um, and plenty of other players have come out and said that Buffalo is just a couple of missing pieces away from making that jump to being a consistent contender in the AFC. And, of course, you know, aside from the quarterback position, you got to have somebody on defense that can sack the opposing player's quarterback. So, you know, Von Miller immediately improves a position that they needed to. And uh, I think he makes them an interesting – uh, candidate, or I guess like how they would say it in Vegas, interesting odds to go and, and go out compete for a Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's kind of like what we mentioned. You know, Buffalo was only 13 seconds away from going to an AFC championship game in back-to-back years. And I think just not having someone like Von Miller to just make a play when they needed to make it, you know, I, I think that could be a difference maker in a similar situation if it were to arise not only just next year, but for the foreseeable future, just because I think Buffalo, despite the fact that they've had some tough losses and some pretty big playoff games in the last two years, this team is still on the rise. They're still relatively young on the offensive side of the ball. Defensively, they're very stout. But overall, I think this team is moving in the right direction. And I think Von Miller is going to be a huge reason on why the Bills' Super Bowl window is wide open as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, for sure. But with that said, uh, we're going to kick it back to the AFC West, and we're going to talk a little bit about the Los Angeles Chargers. And the Chargers have gone on a full reload in free agency the last couple of days. We mentioned a couple of days ago um, when they added Khalil Mack to the roster. Now they've added J.C. Jackson, who used to play with the New England Patriots. But 
J.C. Jackson is now a member of the Chargers. He signed a five-year deal, if I remember the numbers correctly. I think he's getting paid somewhere around $80 million throughout the lifetime of that contract. So it was a huge payday for an undrafted free agent in J.C. Jackson. J.C. Jackson has been one of the best intercepting corners that the league has seen in the last couple of years. He has almost 25 interceptions in the last four years. So the consistency that the Chargers are getting in their secondary to go alongside Derwin James, that one-two combo at the cornerback position is going to be absolutely deadly for the Chargers moving forward. And really, when you look at the Chargers as a whole, their defense now really matches what they have on the offensive side of the ball because the explosiveness that Justin Herbert and that offense possess is one thing to mention, but now this defense matches it and it's going to be something for the Chargers moving forward. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, with the Chargers adding Khalil Mack and J.C. Jackson to a pretty stout defense already, just how dangerous do you think the Chargers are going to be going into next season? Uh, I'm going to go on a limb, and I'm going to say that they might be the best team in the AFC West. I know that that's crazy because they haven't played an official game together, but when you look at things on paper, as we normally do during this offseason time, and we make hot takes, bold takes, whatever you want to say, um, you have a lockdown corner. You have an up-and-coming corner in Asante Samuel Jr. You have an incredible safety in Derwin James. You have a double-wham duo of Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa rushing the passer. Um, I would say the only thing they would be missing would be, I guess, a big-name linebacker. And, you know, not to sound uh, ignorant, but I don't necessarily know too much about San Diego's defensive uh, personnel to go out there and say that they don't have one. But, of course, <laughs> the big names are the ones that jump off the sheet here. And we're just looking at it and we're saying, you know what? If the, the defense, like you said, Kyle, can keep up with what the offense puts out, uh, I think this team can compete for a Super Bowl. I mean, they re-signed Mike Williams, which a lot of people didn't think was possible. Austin Eckler's coming off an incredible year. Justin Herbert's legitimately getting better as time progresses, as it seems. So, I mean, who's to say they can't go out there and, and compete for not just uh, a divisional title with the Kansas City Chiefs, but... I don't, I, I don't necessarily see a lot of teams beating them down the stretch if they can stay healthy, especially because of what those players that they acquired this offseason bring to the table. So, yes, I would say firmly this Chargers team is probably one of the scariest teams alongside Buffalo, alongside Kansas City, and, and maybe Denver once again, depending on how Russell plays. But, dude, the AFC West just gets better as free agency progresses, and it's not even close to a joke, bro. It's scary. Kevin, I'm in full agreement with you on this one. When I look at the Chargers as a whole right now, I think they're probably one of the best well-rounded units in the NFL. And I've always kind of made this point about the Buffalo Bills just because their offense and their defense are very similar as far as just total effectiveness goes. But when I look at this defense on paper, with what the Chargers have. I mean, this is scary, Kevin. I mean, they got Joey Boza. They got Khalil Mack, Sante Samuel Jr., Derwin James, and J.C. Jackson. Those are just some of the standouts. When you can list off five or six standouts on that side of the ball, that's incredible. And it really kind of goes to show, I think the Chargers understand the urgency and the moment that they have because Kansas City has owned this division for the last couple of years. But I think a lot of these teams in the AFC West, like the Chargers, like the Broncos, they see the need to go out and actually make an effort to compete against KC just because 
they can't play second fiddle to KC for the foreseeable future unless they just accept that. But these teams, like the Chargers, are going out and making a difference in free agency. And they see that there is a possible way to exploit KC and knock them off that top spot. And when you look at what the Chargers have, they have a great and up-and-coming defense. Now they added some great pieces with Khalil Mack and J.C. Jackson. And it goes along with what they have in an up-and-coming superstar in Justin Herbert at the quarterback position. I just think overall, when you look at this team offensively with what Herbert's going to be able to do with Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Austin Eckler out of the backfield, I mean, this offense is going to light it up. But I think this defense, they have the personnel to now match with what the offense is doing on a consistent basis. And if that Chargers pass rush is able to get consistent sacks in a lot of the games that they play in, and this defense is going to be scary because opposing quarterbacks are going to have to respect the fact that Joey Boza and Khalil Mack are going to get after it. But then if you get the ball out and if you're trying to throw on J.C. Jackson, Derwin James, Asante Samuel Jr., man, this is kind of a nightmare scenario when you're going up against uh, these defensive players because this defense is stacked on paper. Now, granted, we have to see what these guys are like when the season hits, and we got to see whether or not that these guys are able to mesh as far as the chemistry is concerned. But on paper, this Chargers team is taking leaps and bounds from what they were last year. And granted, they were only really one game away from making the playoffs last year. I think when you look at it right now, I think the Chargers are definitely a playoff contending team. How far they go, I'm not willing to commit that they're going to go to the Super Bowl just because I think it's a little bit too prisoner of the moment as far as I'm concerned. But I think this team, they have the tools in place to make a solid playoff run. And if they play their cards right, they could wind up in an AFC Championship situation. I could definitely see that happening. But as far as I'm concerned, too far of a leap to say for me that they're going to go to a Super Bowl. But this is a scary team. This is not a team to be slept on. And the Chargers are looking like a great squad right now. This is not a team uh, to trifle with. This is going to be a great team going into next season. That's just how I see it. Yeah, you're definitely not lying there. But uh, with that said, uh, we'll keep this moving on forward. We're going to kick it over to the NFC West. We're going to basically keep it within the same city. And we're going to focus on the Los Angeles Rams. And the Rams are coming off of a Super Bowl season after they defeated the Cincinnati Bengals in Super Bowl 56. And in free agency, they made a huge splash with adding Allen Robinson into the fold. I think if I remember the terms of the contract correctly, he signed a three-year deal for around $45 million. So it's about $15 million, $15.5 million per year, just based on uh, just the bigger number for that contract. But when you look at what the Rams have at their wide receiving core going into next year, their potential wide receiving core could include the names of Cooper Cup, Odell Beckham Jr., Allen Robinson, Van Jefferson, and Robert Woods. I mean, that is a stacked wide receiver core. Now, granted, we're going to have to see what happens with OBJ. We're going to have to see what happens with Robert Woods. We don't really know the status of those two yet. But if they're able to bring both of those guys back into the fold, I think it goes without saying that the Rams would have the best wide receiving core in the league if they were able to retain OBJ and Robert Woods going into next year. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, with the Rams adding Allen Robinson into the fold going into next season, 
Just how unstoppable do the Rams look at this current moment in time? I'm not even going to cap. I know we said that they weren't going to repeat. Um, this addition could potentially catapult them just for the sheer fact offensively. They might be the scariest team in the league. I mean, they still have enough money saved up to sign Odell from what we read um, in terms of what Shefty had reported. They still have enough kind of put to the side if Odell ends up deciding to stay. Uh, Robert Woods, however, is kind of on the block. Um, I guess the Rams are taking calls from one of Shefty's latest reports. So they are kind of fielding offers to try to see what they can get. I don't know if that's to increase more cap space. I don't know if that's because they feel that Robert Woods will be outshined by Allen Robinson. And, you know, if Odell Beckham comes back on time, we'll see what happens. But if this team, like Kyle said, does find a way to stay together, this might be the scariest offense in the NFL. I mean, that, that, this is by far the greatest wide receiver room on paper right this very moment, potentially the NFL's ever seen. I mean, you have the big playmaking capabilities of Odell Beckham Jr. if he comes back healthy. You obviously have the Offensive Player of the Year in Cooper Cup, Matthew Stafford's favorite target. You have Van Jefferson, uh, a, a long, tall end zone threat, as well as a deep ball receiver that Matt Stafford loves to extend the field and extend plays. Robert Woods, another small slot receiver that can run all routes. And then, I mean, you go and add Allen Robinson, one of the highest rated wide receivers in terms of his percentage at, at making difficult catches as well as his drop ratio. It's, it's insane. Like, Kyle, seriously, I'm asking you like a kind of like a rebuttal question. Have you seen a more stacked wide receiver room in history in the league? Well, there's a couple that come to mind. I think you could probably mention the uh, the 2007 Patriots when they had Randy Moss, Wes Welker, Dante Stallworth, Jabbar Gaffney. I mean, th- those are four stud wide receivers, and they were able to light up not only just you know good teams, they were able to light up the entire league in that stretch from 2007. Um, I have to go back to what the Broncos were able to do kind of in the uh, early to mid 2010s when they had Demarius Thomas, rest in peace, Demarius. Um, look at what they had with Julius Thomas, Wes Welker, Eric Decker. I mean, those were stacked wide receiver cores. And then you transition into this one with what it could potentially be if they're able to retain Odell Beckham Jr. and Robert Woods to go alongside with Cooper Cup, um, Van Jefferson. I, I mean, this is insane. And then you add Allen Robinson on top of that. I mean, Kevin, that's five wideouts that can you all can you can double them all. You just I mean, can't. all the, all those guys in their own respective um, plays can go out there and get a hundred yards receiving fairly easily, just because, like, give you an example, like Cooper Cup, he was like a fantasy dream this past season with the amount of targets that he was getting from Matthew Stafford. Like, he can go out and get an easy hundred yards receiving. Oda Beckham Jr., same thing. Robert Woods, if he gets the targets, could go out there and get it. Allen Robinson, despite the fact that he's been, you know, in a pretty difficult situation in Chicago the last couple of years, you have to respect the fact that he is a just a huge dynamic wide receiver who's capable of easily getting a hundred yards receiving. And with a quarterback like Matt Stafford throwing to him, I could definitely see that happening on a consistent basis. Just overall. You know, with what the Rams have on the offensive side of the ball, it's incredible. And I think when you look at their chances as far as being able to repeat, we always kind of ask that that possibility of, you know, 
with a roster like this, like they could definitely make a back-to-back Super Bowl run. Offensively, they can say that. Now, on the defensive side of the ball, we kind of have to see. We don't really know what the status of Aaron Donald is going into next season. I think that's definitely going to play a major role in what the Rams are going to do this offseason. Offensively, they have the pieces to do it, but, you know, Kev, it's like we always say, you know, offense can get you to the Super Bowl, but defense usually wins Super Bowls, and that's the difference. Super, defenses win champions, uh, win championships, but, I mean, when it comes to the Rams, you know, usually you see a lot of roster turnover when it comes to a team that wins a Super Bowl in the offseason that comes right after it. But the fact that they were able to retool and they were able to upgrade that wide receiver core with the likes of Allen Robinson, I mean, they're definitely there as far as getting to another Super Bowl next year. Whether they win it, you know, we'll see what happens. But I, I have to say, you know, if you're if if I'm a betting man at this point, I'd at least put some money on the Rams just because I can't I can't say anything bad about that wide receiving core and that offense. That offense is going to be explosive next year. And it's going to be a nightmare for opposing defenses. That's just how I see it. Yeah, man, it's it's going to be exciting. I, I can't even begin to put into words how excited I am to see what is going to end up happening and transpiring on the field with this damn team. Because if they stay healthy, I mean, Matthew Stafford can literally like close his eyes and that meme, that joke of I'm I'm, I'm going to close my eyes, someone's going to be there. Like you can literally pick any direction, someone's going to come down with it. That's in a Rams uniform. Yeah, it's just overall, I mean, you want to talk about an embarrassment of riches. That's what the Rams have in their possession right now. And, you know, we'll see what happens with the likes of bringing OBJ back into the fold. Um, Don't really know what's going to happen with Robert Woods. He is coming off that torn ACL from last season. I think, like you said, Kevin, I think that's going to be the guy that they end up trading um, just because that there have been some teams um, communicating with the Rams on his availability. Going into next year, it wouldn't surprise me if we see Robert Woods on the move, but the Rams were able to get him back into the fold. Dude, run it back. A five player wide receiver core that deep, that is going to be tough to contend with. And, you know, it definitely has the possibility of being one of the best wide receiving cores in NFL history. But, I mean, we'll see what happens, but. Being the likes of what the 2007 Patriots were to see what the 2013 Broncos were like, um, that's some elite company to go up against. But this team is definitely kind of rounding into form and could definitely challenge it if they're able to retain four out of the five guys and potentially five out of the five guys. That would be absolutely phenomenal if the Rams were able to do. But uh, with that said, we are going to transition to our next segment, and that is going to be focusing on Deshaun Watson. Now, Deshaun Watson has been a huge piece of trade rumors that have been circulating that have been circulating the last couple of days or so. And really what we've seen as far as the update with his situation is that apparently is coming coming down to two teams that are in the running for the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. The two teams in particular are the Atlanta Falcons and New Orleans Saints. So it seems to me that Deshaun Watson is going to a team in the NFC South, unless there's a dark horse team that pops up out of nowhere as a good trade suitor. But it really does seem like the Falcons and the Saints are competing for Deshaun Watson services next season. And we'll just kind of see how it plays out within the next couple of days or so. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, 
with Deshaun Watson looking like he could potentially go to the Saints or the Falcons, which team do you think is going to land Watson when it's all said and done? Shit, man, I thought it was going to be Seattle last week, and now we're talking about two totally different teams that we didn't even see coming. I mean, the Saints were kind of like on the outside looking in when we had made our episode last week, and now we're talking about the Saints being one of the favorites. The Falcons, to me, make no sense. The Falcons have no offensive weapon outside of Kyle Pitts. Calvin Ridley, Calvin Ridley suspended. Um, I don't even know any other receivers outside of Cordell Patterson who is playing running back as well. So, I mean, like, granted, there is somewhat of a Debo Samuel type of weapon there. But, you know, Atlanta doesn't really have a defense either. Atlanta's competing in a very competitive division, especially with Tom Brady coming back for his 23rd year. Um, it, to me, it doesn't make sense for him to go to Atlanta. It makes more sense to at least go to New Orleans because you have Michael Thomas. You know, the Alvin Kamara situation isn't necessarily settled. But if Mark Ingram is there, you have a notable, successful running back. You have a good offensive line. You have a solid defense, um, a good coaching staff. You know, you have good veteran players around you. And it just, again, New Orleans has an immediate hole for the quarterback position because they have not re-signed Jameis Winston. Taysom Hill didn't work out. Atlanta, that whole debacle is just, to me, weird because we all know that the cap hit for Matt Ryan is $48 million. Who in their right mind is going to absorb that hit? Like, who is going to take that? And his preferred destinations, I believe, if Matt, if they do agree to acquire Deshaun Watson, he had mentioned Cleveland and Seattle. So are those teams ready to go out and absorb basically $50 million for a quarterback in his late 30s who has steadily declined in terms of percentages and total output over the last four seasons? I don't know. Um, again, it just Seattle – I mean, excuse me, um, New Orleans just seems like the right fit because they have a little bit more of a ready – to win team as opposed to Atlanta low key is in rebuild mode. They have a lot of random pieces. They have a lot of not necessarily big names, but you know what I mean? It's really hard to kind of pinpoint what I'm trying to say here. Atlanta kind of sucks. So I don't know why Deshaun team would go from one bad team to the other. Basically is what I'm trying to say. Well, the way that I see it is that when it comes to where Deshaun Watson is going to go, I think this is fairly cut and concise for me. I see him going to the Saints, and it seems fairly obvious to me, and here's why. When I look at what Houston is going to trade for, why would Houston go out of their way to trade Deshaun Watson, who is going to get paid $35 million this upcoming season, and they're going to take a bigger cap hit with potentially Matt Ryan if they were to trade him to the Falcons? That doesn't really make any sense to me. There would be a third-team suitor if that happens. I'm just saying, like, it doesn't really make a lot of sense because let's say for the, let's just say for, you know, hypothetical purposes that it's only a two team trade and that Houston ends up making the deal with Atlanta and Atlanta ships Matt Ryan to Houston. I just don't see why Houston would take on, you know, a $48 million quarterback next year in Matt Ryan who, by all intents and purposes, is I'm not saying falling off at this point, but is slowly, you know, degrading as far as what we saw from him a couple of years ago when he won an MVP and took the Falcons to the Super Bowl in Super Bowl 51. But when I look at with the cer- the current situation with the Saints, the Saints to me seem like a more enticing trade partner 
or Houston, just because New Orleans has kind of made it uh, a more open situation because look at all the cap space that they freed up by restructuring some of the contracts that they have on their roster. They restructure contracts with guys like Taysom Hill, Bradley Roby, Malcolm Jenkins, and Demario Davis. And it's opened up a lot of cap space to the point where they have about $30 million in cap space. Granted, they would have to make a couple more adjustments with their salary cap to absorb what Watson's uh, potential salary is next year in $35 million. But to only be $5 million off with what Watson would bring into the fold as far as his cap it goes, it's a lot better than what they were originally just a couple weeks ago when, Kevin, we were both talking about the cap situation that the Saints were faced with. And they were one of the worst teams as far as their cap position goes after the season had ended. So they definitely made some adjustments as far as what it's going to be like for next season for their cap. But, I mean, overall, I think Deshaun Watson would do much better in New Orleans just because when you look at New Orleans the last couple of years, even though that Tampa Bay Buccaneers seem to be the better team overall, the Saints have given them trouble since Tom Brady's gotten there. The Saints are 4-0 against the Tom Brady-led Buccaneers since Brady got there. And then when you bring somebody like Deshaun Watson into the fold, I think the Saints could be able to continue that type of play against their division rivals in the Buccaneers going into next season. I think overall, I think if you're looking at it from Houston's perspective, I think Houston, I think New Orleans is probably the move just because I think Deshaun would actually get a decent, uh, he would get a fresh start in New Orleans and it would actually be, I think, a more competitive team to play with than what the Falcons currently have on their roster. And I think as far as the rebuild is concerned, I think it just makes more sense for Houston at this point, just because if you were going to trade him to Atlanta, you know, Kevin, like you mentioned, if you were going to add a third team into the mix, I don't know why you would necessarily do that when you can make the move with one team in New Orleans and not have a third team act as like having a third party in there would kind of seem, I wouldn't say pointless, but it would just be more work than what it's intended for. And I just think overall, I think if it, if it's coming down to these two teams between the Saints and the Falcons, I think the Saints are the more enticing trade partner at this point instead of the Falcons where you could potentially add a third team into the trade. That's just how I see it. Yeah, it's going to be very complex. I mean, for the longest time, uh, we were all just wondering once Deshaun was cleared of criminal charges where he was going to end up. And now we're sitting here looking at two teams. We, I, I can't keep saying we. Two teams I would have never even thought would be on this radar because for so long I thought the New Orleans, in my opinion, was for sure going to bring back Jameis Winston just because he didn't really get a fair shot. He was playing very well at the beginning of the year and then goes down with an ACL injury. So, I mean, you know, you live and you learn. It's a business. I get it. But uh, like Kyle had brought up with that cap situation, them inheriting that $35 million and the rest of that bulky contract for the foreseeable future just seems like the history is just going to repeat itself with them. They're just going to continue to tie themselves in that knot that is a cap. So, I mean, you know, only time will tell. Yeah, but I mean, when you look at the situation that Deshaun's in, I mean, the fact that he was not uh, indicted on criminal charges with that whole sexual misconduct case, I mean, once that came to fruition, that he wouldn't be indicted, I mean, the floodgates just opened up as far as the trade rumors go. And I think every team that was interested in Deshaun was really just waiting for that domino to fall. And then once it did, and the only thing that he's probably going to have to deal with is a civil suit once this is all said and done with, 
teams are going to make that trade just because they know what he's going to be able to present um, that team with. Just because Deshaun Watson, I mean, when it comes to his athletic ability at the quarterback position, I mean, it's second to none. Maybe you could say maybe like Lamar Jackson, maybe a more athletic quarterback. But I mean, what Deshaun can do at that quarterback spot, there's very few guys, there's very few individuals that can go out and do what he does. And wherever he ends up going, whether it's Atlanta, whether it's New Orleans, they're going to have a stud there. Now, I, granted, we got to see how what happens with Deshaun because there is a good chance that he may get suspended based on the personal conduct policy. I haven't really heard anything about that. I think that's just something that I just kind of suspect that may happen just because of the association that Deshaun Watson had with this uh, sexual misconduct case. But, you know, hopefully for him, he doesn't have to serve a suspension from the NFL. That's best case scenario for him. I think overall, um, I would still suspect that there may be an impending suspension with Deshaun, but I think teams are willing to overlook that just because they know what he can present on the field. It's just, he's a dynamic athlete. and There are very few teams that are going to pass it up, and I don't really fault these teams for going after someone like that because he can make a huge difference going into not only next season, but for the foreseeable future afterward. Yeah, you can make the the point argument or, you know, standing uh, argument that, uh, you know, he might be the most sought after offseason acquisition in NFL history just because of how fast people ran to see what it would take to get him. I mean, the 49ers were in the mix. The Colts attempted to be in the mix and the entire universe laughed at us. But did you really think Houston was going to trade their franchise into the division? Like, come on, like that was just stupid. Um, I, I, I Like I said, I said Philly – San Fran, obviously Atlanta now. I mean, New Orleans, so many teams. Cleveland even reached out. He had multiple meetings with them too. So it's just like, man, I don't think I've ever seen NFL teams react to one particular player like this before, at least in my lifetime. And it's just been absolutely crazy to kind of watch it, kind of like just wait for the dominoes to fall. There were so many teams that were interested, and now they're all kind of just like falling off the side like, yep. This person backed out. This team backed out. This team uh, pulled their trade or rescinded their trade offer. And, uh, again, we'll just have to see what happens. But Deshaun Watson is definitely enjoying this offseason for sure. Oh, 100%. And speaking of one of the teams uh, that was out of the running for the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes, that would be the Cleveland Browns. But the effect of the Browns inquiring about Deshaun Watson's services, it has definitely rubbed off on Baker Mayfield 100% wrong. And he has requested a trade from the Browns. And this was reported by ESPN saying Baker is of the mindset that it is in the best interest of both sides for Cleveland and Baker to split ways and for him to find a new team going into this season. Now, granted, just because Baker made the trade request does not mean the Browns have honored it. Uh, the Browns are going to resist this uh, for the foreseeable future, but really kind of seems like we're at a stalemate at this current moment in time. But there have been some rumors circulating about Baker's availability, and there's even been some trade rumors about Baker Mayfield maybe even going to the Indianapolis Colts. Granted, these are just rumors, and there's nothing really substantial yet at this point, but the rumors are circulating out there. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, with Baker Mayfield requesting a trade from the Browns, how do you see the scenario playing out for Baker in the long run? It's weird for me because I think that Baker 
um, is a solid quarterback. I think Baker can make a lot of throws. I think he has a good arm. Um, he improved his accuracy just two seasons ago. But my issue with Baker is he is too emotional. He is too, what would you say, immature. I mean, Steve Smith got on, I forget what segment today on ESPN, and he made fun of Baker for being kind of a NFL, yeah. He goes and he's like, you know, like he's the only award he's ever won is like, you know, like NFL's biggest crier or something to that effect. And I find it to be hysterical because out of one issue in the offseason, he goes and basically requests a trade because he's, his feelings are hurt. The NFL's a business. If you have an opportunity to upgrade at any position, no matter what happened the season before, you, you go and get it done. Baker's coming off a of shoulder surgery. Baker's coming off of one of his worst years in the last couple of seasons. Baker is also kind of being labeled as someone who is immature in the locker room. So you go and you look at this and you say, if I'm Cleveland's front office and Deshaun Watson's available, I'm jumping at the bit without a doubt. And Baker should not take that personal. Baker should know, hey, yo, he's better than me. What am I supposed to do, get mad? How about you put up better numbers during the season? How about you don't get labeled as a guy that doesn't target receivers for personal vendettas? Because obviously that Odell Beckham situation didn't look good for you, especially after they ended up winning the Super Bowl. So, you know, that's neither here nor there. In regards to the, him being linked to Indianapolis, I think that's an absolute mistake. He is a shorter and less athletic Carson Wentz, and I agree completely with what Colin Cowers take today. Um, he's shorter. He can make the big wow plays, but he can't make the layups. He can't make the, the dips. He can't make the reads. And sometimes he tries to do too much in terms of rolling out of the pocket uh, trying to extend plays with his legs, and then trying to make those big plays down the field at the end of games. And it's just not necessary. We had that last year. We had a faster quarterback. We had a, a, a taller quarterback. And we don't need to go and repeat last year with somebody that's lesser or you know, technically maybe less miles since he's younger than Carson, I guess. But I want nothing to do with Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield had great talent on the offensive side of the ball last year, and he couldn't really do much. The Colts have no definitive number one wide receiver outside of Michael Pittman Jr. We have Mo Alley Cox at tight end. Jack Doyle just retired. And we have a potential offensive and MVP candidate in Jonathan Taylor. But you had Nick Chubb, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. So I'm not really understanding how this is going to benefit us. For Baker, it gives him an opportunity in a prover year to show that he is worth it and that he can actually lead a team. But in my opinion, as a Colts fan, as an NFL fan, that trade wouldn't make sense for this organization in so many ways. And yet that was gaining a lot of traction earlier today. So, I mean, for Baker, it kind of sucks. But at the same time, bro, you got to man up, man. You got to be able to take it. It, It's the NFL. If you can't handle it, you got to get out. Kevin, this is kind of a tricky one for me because I understand – that Baker is a, a solid quarterback as far as his skill set is concerned. But when it comes to his, I guess his, you know, his mental toughness, I think that's something that can definitely be questioned. And it's kind of the point that you made is that Baker is emotional. And granted that can work uh, in your favor one way, but it's a double edged sword because when these Deshaun Watson trade rumors came to the surface, let's just be honest. Baker got butthurt, and for him to request a qu- request a trade so quickly because the Browns were inquiring about Deshaun Watson's services, I think it kind of indicates that. It's like you said, this is a business, 
And guess what? Trade rumors and packages are always going to come up. And guess what? Your name might be in it. But you that can't you can't let that deter you from going out and doing what you need to do. Now, granted, when it came to Baker Mayfield this season, I do kind of have this last season of his as a caveat just because he was dealing with a pretty significant uh, shoulder issue. I believe he was dealing with a torn labrum throughout pretty much most of the season. And that definitely affected his playing status throughout most of the season. And when it comes to Baker, though, Baker is just an average quarterback. He does possess some decent skills. He can make some big plays here and there. But they're kind of few and far between. He can make some pretty bad mistakes, and he makes them quite consistently. And, you know, for what the Browns had with their wide receiving core earlier this season, and they had Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham Jr., Donovan Peoples-Jones, and David Njoku. I mean, that's and a Austin solid, Hooper. And, I mean, that's a solid wide receiving core to have at your disposal. And the Browns didn't maximize it. And in large part, that was because of Baker. Baker needed to make better plays. Baker needed to make better throws. And I understand that he was hurt, and it, it does complicate things to a significant extent. But the situation that it was going on between Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham Jr., I mean, it got to the point where it was so bad, where Odell was barely getting any targets. He goes to Los Angeles with the Rams, and he wins a Super Bowl, and he was a pivotal piece for that Rams team to not only get to the Super Bowl, but he was making plays in the Super Bowl before he tore his ACL. So when it comes to Baker, I think more than likely, I I think for some odd reason, I think they're going to be able to work this out. Just I don't know if Baker's going to get traded at this point. I'm kind of 50-50 on this one. I don't really know how it's going to play out. If I had to guess, like I said, I think he'll actually stay. I think they'll be able to kind of work this out within the next couple of weeks or so. But I think at this point, at this point in time, I just think Baker is a little bit too emotional as far as getting his feelings hurt about being in this trade rumor with Deshaun Watson. But I do think that when it's all said and done, I think the Browns are going to be able to work this out with Baker. I think he will be the starting quarterback for the Browns going into next season. But knowing Baker's history, we'll see how it goes just because you really kind of never know uh, what he's going to be able to present. But it's a difficult situation in Cleveland right now. That is kind of their MO just because they have been kind of a walking mediocrity for the last couple of decades. And maybe this is a sign, you know, maybe they could turn it around with Baker Mayfield, but it seems like more of the same with the Browns. And unfortunately, that's just kind of the way it goes in Cleveland. That's just how I see it. Yeah, we all know Cleveland is the quarterback dumpster grave or the grave of quarterbacks, however it is you want to allude to it. But, I mean, we'll just have to see what happens with Baker. I just hope he stays away from my damn franchise. Oh, if he goes to the Colts, uh, just to let you guys know, um, you might want to cover your ears when we potentially have that segment just because I know Kevin is going to literally light this microphone and light this podcast on fire just because he's not going to have it. I think Kevin, am I wrong to say that? Not at all. I mean, listen, 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 last topic on this particular segment. 
We made a big gamble play last year and going for Carson. It ended up being a first and a second round pick that we had to acquire. Didn't pan out. Why are we going to go and acquire somebody who's coming off of surgery, coming off of a bad year, a bad offensive personnel group, um, a GM clearly who is not really making any moves to improve our weak and non-existent offense just to go and have him leave in the next year, not resign him. He's in the final year of his rookie deal. Why are we going to go and risk that? Why are we going to give up assets that we just got back from the compensatory draft and the picks that we just got back for Carson to go and acquire someone worse than Carson? Does that make sense? No, absolutely not. I just think it, it like literally common sense does not scream Baker Mayfield for God's sakes. I'd rather go after Marcus Mariota because that'll cost us some money, maybe a one-year deal for a vet minimum, a prove-it year, a two-year deal at most with an opt-out. Don't go trading draft picks and capital and players for someone that's trash. Uh, you know, go 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 sign somebody else for that. And I, you know what? No matter what happens this year, I stand by. We will come in second or third place this year in the division just because we're not making enough moves. The Ngakwe signing was great. The trade with Rockison hurt, kind of hurt, but I mean, it was just player for player, so that was a swap. We ended up recouping picks for Carson Wentz, so that's great, but we don't have an offense. We don't have a quarterback. I don't necessarily see us moving very quickly or very, you know, very efficiently this season, and Baker Mayfield would only make that worse. It's like I said. I, I mean, Baker goes to the Colts. I'm just saying, just get ready, you guys. It's, it's I'm, I'm, gonna be... I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go off. I'm gonna go off. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you know, granted, there were some games where I think Kevin popped off on Carson just because Carson made some some bad decisions here and there, but that may become a weekly occurrence if Baker is in the fold for the Colts. Uh, just letting you guys know that's that, that's going to get pretty nasty on that segment if Baker goes to the Colts. But hopefully, for Kevin's sake, uh, that doesn't happen. But um, still, the uh, the quarterback situation in Indianapolis is kind of a perplexing one right now, Kevin. Wouldn't you? Uh, would you say? Yeah, all the all the all the good quarterbacks are jumping off the market. Um, again, I knew we were never going to have a shot at Deshaun. Jimmy, uh, his value is just plummeting because quarterbacks are just getting paid crazy amounts of money. Jimmy has not really been talked about or sought out for, especially with Tom coming back to Tampa. Um, San Francisco doesn't really look like they're they're going to want him unless they don't have a choice. And I see Ballard lowballing them if they go out and make a move for him. But again, you know, uh, the biggest thing that kind of stuck to me was we were desperate enough to go out there and say we need a, a a backup over the last three to four years in Marcus Mariota to save our franchise or to kind of be a bridge quarterback. We've had five different quarterbacks in five years. I think it's time we go the younger route and just accept. These Band-Aid players are not good enough. Last year was a big enough gamble for me, man. I don't want to keep doing this year after year or every other year where you give these quarterback shots to try to revitalize their careers. No. If your resume sucks, keep it the fuck where you are, and let's just start young. I'd rather Ellinger get reps. I'd rather draft somebody. I'd rather go get Mariota to at least be a veteran in the locker room to kind of just help the younger guys develop. But for us to go out there and and, and – potentially trade for Matt Ryan or, or trade for Baker Mayfield, it to me makes zero sense. So yeah, the quarterback situation in Indianapolis is absolutely toxic and cancerous at this point. It's troubling, isn't it? Something like uh, that. Yeah. But in Ballard you trust, right? 
It's starting to slip as the days go by. I'm not going to lie. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Though, you want to bring somebody else back into the fold for that GM spot? They're, uh, you want to go back? Next uh, segment. Just, Next yeah. segment. Rickson? You're an asshole. But... No, we'll, we'll switch gears. We're going to move on to our next segment, and we're going to focus a little bit on the NBA for these next couple of segments. We're going to talk about the Golden State Warriors, and we're going to specifically focus on Stephen Curry. Now, Steph Curry was injured in the Warriors' last game when they played against the Boston Celtics. Um, granted, he did not suffer a major injury as far as like missing like the rest of the season goes. But he did suffer a sprained knee ligament in that loss to the Celtics just a couple of nights ago. Um, he is out indefinitely. Um, based on some of the reports that I've seen so far, uh, the Warriors do expect that Steph Curry will be back in the fold for Golden State when it does come playoff time. But still, with that said, the Warriors do expect them that he's going to be out for the foreseeable future. And it could have an impact on the Warriors playoff seeding when we get to the end of the season. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, just how much trouble do you think the Golden State Warriors are in with Steph Curry out indefinitely? I mean, I would say normally that it's going to be pretty bad, but James Wiseman got called up from the G League. Klay Thompson is playing at a great rate. Draymond Green is back. Andrew Wiggins is playing kind of piss poor, but he will get more reps. Jordan Poole's going to get more minutes. We all know that players step up on this team. We all know that they are a very well-coached team. Uh, as a unit, they're probably going to drop a couple of games. They might drop a spot or two, depending on kind of how the team chemistry rolls around with everybody kind of getting uh, kind of getting additional minutes in different places. But I would say that Golden State, what are they, the three seed right now? Yes, they are currently the three seed. I would say that they probably drop a couple of games and then Dallas would end up taking the three seed from them just because Steph does demand that kind of attention. Um the guy literally you have to guard from the parking lot. Um, I know that uh, a couple of comedy skit places and pages made a, a joke about how to properly guard Steph Curry, and it's usually like, um, uh, you know, right out of bed. I forget what those guys. Kyle, I know you know the guys I'm talking about, like Mark Phillips and those boys. Like that skit was hilarious. That's I don't know. I want why I went on that tangent, but Steph brings that kind of dynamic to where you legitimately have to guard him no matter where he is in the field or excuse me on the court and. Um, Without him there, they can really focus and trying to choke up on, you know, playing a little bit more aggressively on Clay Thompson, um, being a little bit physical with James Wiseman down low since he's coming back from an injury. We all know that Draymond's not an offensive threat like he used to be. So they're going to really have to rely on the spot-up shooting ability of Clay Thompson and Jordan Poole's dynamic play off the bench. Uh, more than likely, he'll be inserted into the starting role. But again... Golden State will be fine in the long haul, but I do see them skidding just a little bit, just enough for Dallas to kind of squeak into the third. Well, the way that I see it is I think that the Warriors are going to be in some short-term trouble. I do see them actually slipping maybe a spot or two when it comes to the Western Conference playoff seating. It's Kevin, it's like you said, they're the three seed right now. But when you look at, you look at the Dallas Mavericks, you look at the Utah Jazz, they're only a couple of games behind the Warriors at that three spot. And the way that I see it, both the Mavericks and the Jazz see blood in the water with Golden State. And I definitely think that there's a possibility that, that they could overtake Golden State within like the next week or so. So I think overall, when we look at the situation that Golden State's currently faced with, 
you know, missing Steph is going to be a major problem moving forward just because Steph is by far and away the most impactful player that Golden State has on their roster. And it just seems like whenever they actually do get healthy as a full roster, someone goes down with an injury. Draymond Green was out for the last two months before he came back just a couple days ago. And then when he gets back into the second game after missing two months, now Steph is out for probably four to six weeks. It's just, it just seems like injuries plague this team at just the worst inopportune times. And it is like you said, Kevin, these guys are going to have to step up and they're going to have to try to cover that absence until Steph gets back. But I do think that they actually have the personnel to be able to weather the storm to a certain extent. Because I do think that Clay is going to get more burn. I think he's definitely going to be that focal piece for Golden State moving forward. But I do think that Jordan Poole is going to get inserted into the lineup. And I think he's actually going to make a pretty significant difference moving forward. I also think that Draymond is going to get more burns. I know he's more on a minutes restriction right now because he just got back into the lineup after missing two months. James Wiseman is going to be back into the fold very soon. But... You know, you guys have to see guys from the bench step up. You're going to see guys like Gary Payton uh, the second uh, get some shine. You're going to see Jonathan Kaminga. You may see Juan Toscano Anderson. These guys are going to have to all step up in their respective roles, and they're going to have to make plays for the Warriors to be able to maintain a decent seed in the Western Conference and not slip too much until Steph gets back. So I think if there's one thing that they could probably rely on is actually their defensive efficiency. Because when you looked at the situation when they played Boston the other night, that matchup between the Celtics and the Warriors, those are the two top teams as far as defensive efficiency goes. So when you look at Golden State, they're going to have to rely more on their defense down the home stretch until Steph gets back because they just can't go out there and light up teams for 120, 130 points and think that they're going to win because I don't think they're going to be able to get that type of output without Steph. But I think if they're more comfortable with maybe shooting for like 100, 105 points per game and holding opponents to under 100 points per game, I think that's probably going to be the best recipe for them to win until they get Steph back into the fold. But the way that I see it is, even though that I think that they have the personnel to be able to kind of weather the storm initially, I do think within probably the next two to three weeks down the road, I think that's when you're going to see the Warriors slip a little bit. And then you're going to see teams like the Jazz and you're going to see teams like the Mavs see an opportunity, and I think they're going to seize it. And I think they'll take full advantage of it. And that's where I think, you know, the, I think Golden State's going to get caught, and I think they're going to fall back a little bit in the standings. But as far as the long-term aspect goes with Golden State, I'm not too concerned. I still believe that this is one of the more dangerous rosters in the Western Conference. You can never slight on the fact that this team has championship-caliber players like Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson. These guys have been there before. They know how to make things happen. And I think once they get everybody back into the fold, when it comes playoff time, I think they'll be good to go. But initially, before we get to that point, they're going to be in for a little bit of a struggle. And they could potentially lose some spots in their Western Conference seating. But, you know, losing a player like Steph, never easy. But hopefully we'll get to see him back when the playoffs start. That's just kind of how I see it with Golden State at this current moment in time. Yeah, they're going to definitely feel the presence of Steph 
uh, while he's out. They're definitely going to feel the growing pains of having to deal with a bunch of players coming off of multitudes of injuries. And like you had mentioned, minute restrictions and then other role players are just going to have to absorb a lot of those minutes. So, uh, But again, I stand by what I said. They'll be fine in the long haul. Steve Kerr is a great coach. They have a great coaching staff there with uh, Mark Brown and the rest of those guys. So we'll see what happens. But as I normally say in a lot of these segments, only time is going to tell, especially because the NBA playoffs are, well, four or five, maybe six weeks away, depending on when they start. I don't remember. But again, you know, April's right around the corner, so I can't be too far out in that regard. So, uh, yeah, no, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, you know, it's cool to say, though. So they've been there before. They know how to get back, but they're going to be in a little bit of trouble um, for the next couple of weeks until Steph gets back. But uh, to focus on one of the teams that we mentioned in the um, in the Steph Curry segment, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Dallas Mavericks and we're going to focus on Luka Doncic. Uh, Luka Doncic has been playing absolutely phenomenal the last couple of weeks. And he has been one of the biggest sparks for the Mavericks really second half surgeons, uh, resurgence in this part of the season. When you look at the Dallas Mavericks at this current moment in time, they're currently tied with the Utah Jazz in fourth place in the Western Conference. But really, it has been Luka Doncic who has been lighting it up for Dallas. At this current moment in time, he's averaging 28 points per game on 45% shooting from the field. And he's also averaging nine rebounds per game and eight assists per game. And he is definitely in the MVP mix at this current moment in time. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, just how real do you think this surge for Luka Doncic is as far as his MVP candidacy goes? into the second half of the season. I mean, let's just go over some of these numbers over the last 10 games or so. Without the Kings game that he missed with a sore toe um, against the Nets just last night, 37-9-9. Against the Celtics, 26-8-8. The Rockets, 30-14-6. The Knicks, even though we lost by 30, he was still able to put up 31-6-4. Against the Jazz, 35-16-7. Against the Warriors, 41, 10, and 9. The Lakers, 25, 8, and 5. The Warriors, again, 34, 11, and 2. And the list just continues. The man is a walking triple-double. The man is an incredible, incredible playmaker. And he's actually improving on defense. He's actually averaging over a steal per game this year. So he's improving in terms of his defensive statistics as well. He's not necessarily a complete liability. My biggest issue with Luca is he complains after every call or every no call. My biggest thing is that Luca doesn't shut up. He's already at 14 texts for the season. And for those of you that don't know, anything after 16 is a one-game suspension in the NBA. The playoffs are right around the corner. I cannot afford to have my best player suspended because he's bitching about a call that didn't exist. I cannot afford to miss my best offensive player because he decides to bitch and complain because he threw himself into another player and expects to get that call every time. So is his MVP candidacy increasing? Yes, because he is playing on a different level and he is consistently getting NBA Western Conference Player of the Week. I believe last month he was Western Conference Player of the Month. And he's just playing at an incredible pace. And I think that's in huge portion to... Spencer Dinwiddie's performance. He has a running mate that can go out there and facilitate the ball that isn't Jalen Brunson. 
Spencer's been playing absolutely out of his mind as well, hitting the game winner in back-to-back games against the Celtics and the Nets. Um, I think that that has taken a lot of pressure off of Luka to feel like he doesn't have to make every play, especially because Luka will get doubled down the stretch in most games, uh, like most MVP candidates do. But instead of having to force a shot, instead of having to pass it to someone he has no faith in, Spencer has been able to alleviate some of that stress. So with that said, Luka Doncic definitely needs to be paid more attention to. The numbers say it. The Mavericks' win percentage say it. The Mavericks' current uh, I think the Mavs in their last 10 are 9-1, and one, which is just ridiculous. I mean, since we've acquired Spencer Dinwiddie, we're 10-2. and two. It's crazy. So, you know, it, they, we always say it's not just the numbers aspect of things, but the team's success. Most valuable, most valuable player. You take Luka off this team, we are a bottom-seeded team in the Western Conference, if not maybe even a team that's in a play-in tournament position. So... Luca's got to be in the discussion, man. I'm not saying he's going to win it, but he's definitely earning those stripes the further the season goes along. Well, the way that I see it, he's definitely making a case of him being in the discussion for the MVP at this current moment in time. I don't know if he's going to win it, but with this latest stretch that he's been on the last nine games or so, he's been playing absolutely phenomenal. And even though that Spencer Dinwiddie did hit that game winner against the Nets uh, just a couple of nights ago, I can't overlook the fact that Luca had 37, 9, and 9, almost had a triple-double. And, Kevin, one of the biggest plays that I remember from that Nets game in particular, granted, it wasn't a play that ended up in points, but there was a pass that Luca passed out to Davis Bertans where he just absolutely whipped it over the middle of the court in between, like, two or three players against the Nets and set up Bertans for a great three. Granted, Bertans wasn't able to knock it down. But it kind of shows me that Luca goes out and not only makes the plays as far as scoring is concerned, but he's able to set up his teammates to be able to kick it out and give them opportunities to knock down shots. Now, when it comes to the Mavericks, as far as the latest stretch that they've been on, as far as their winning is concerned, in large part, it is due to Luca. Luca is by far and away the main force that is driving this team forward. And even though despite the fact that he is not necessarily, I would consider the most gifted athlete that I've ever seen on a basketball court, just because Luka doesn't really possess like great speed or great finesse, but he's able to make like these small little pivots and his footwork. Those are the difference makers in his game. And he's able to get separation and he's able to get space and knock down these shots on a consistent basis. And really, that's all you're sort of looking for is as long as he's able to create space and knock down jump shots, that's the best thing that Dallas can have moving forward. And even though that I look at some other players as far as the MVP race is concerned, I look at guys like Nikola Jokic, guys like John Morant or Joel Embiid. I think that those guys are a little bit ahead of Luka, but I can't slide on Luka at this point. Luka is making a surge here at the later part of the season. And I don't think that we can overlook this because even though the Dallas is in fourth place right now, they have one of the better records in the NBA. And if you were to transition the record that they have in the Western Conference currently and kick it over to the Eastern Conference, they would damn near be the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. And I do think that if Luka were in the Eastern Conference, I think he'd be getting a lot more MVP nods 
instead of where he is currently in the Western Conference when he has to compete against guys like John Morant and Nikola Jokic in that same conference. But overall, Luka's lighting it up. Luka's going out there and making plays happen for Dallas. And I think overall, I don't know if he's going to win it as far as the MVP is concerned, but I can't sleep on this guy. I mean, the guy's damn near averaging. I mean, the guy's averaging 28 points per game, 45% for the field, and is almost averaging a triple-double. I mean, these are insane numbers. And for a guy who's only 23 years old, I mean, what more can you ask for? There's, there's not really much left for me to say. Luka's a beast. He's going to continue to do that. And he should continue to get MVP nods because he's definitely in the discussion as far as I'm concerned. Dude, it's... It's, it's a great time. As, it's it's a scary. great time as a Mavs fan. I, I can't sit here and lie. Um, watching what he's doing offensively is crazy. Watching his improvement on the defensive side is is nice to see. Again, my biggest concern is just his mouth getting him into trouble. He's become a crybaby in every sense of the word. And when you not only complain, you don't get back on defense, which leads to a transition bucket or a turnover on the next possession, or you trying to force up a shot to try to get the ref to see that he was wrong or whatever, you know, try to get a makeup call. To me, that is what builds bad habits for a franchise player. So he needs to ship up. I don't want to hear he's 23 years old. He's been a professional long enough. He's been in the NBA four years. I don't give a shit what they do in FIBA, in Slovenia, in Europe, in Real Madrid, whatever it is you played. You're the one that says it's easier in the NBA to get official calls. So why is it that when they don't call it, you're complaining? It's because you're used to it now and you're spoiled. Cut the shit, play the game, do what you need to do. Because you're going to literally ruin our chances come postseason time because I guarantee you he gets that 16th or 17th tech within the next couple of weeks in the regular season, and he's going to screw us. I feel it. I just I know it. You're really that convinced of it? Dude, we're talking nightly. He flirts with the line of getting a T. Oh, and I'm talking exclaimed shit. Bro, cursing refs out, complaining, bitching, animated, waving his hand in their face. Dude, stop. I think the last two games I've tuned in, he's gotten one. Like, and I mean like tuned in to watch the whole thing from like from from first to second or from, from first to, to, to the end of the game, from tip to the end, he's gotten them. Dude, is that, you think he's not going to get two texts in six weeks? You're crazy. I know we've been talking about Luca, but um, I think we had to make a, a passing mention of Spencer Dinwiddie and just the. Um, I did. I the, mentioned the, it in my I, take. I know, but you know, back-to-back game winners, mm-hmm. and I, I know that there was definitely some controversy when that trade was made, uh, when Kristaps Porzingis was sent to Washington. But I think it goes without saying that um, Kevin. I think the front office of Dallas, maybe they knew a little bit more than what we did. And uh, it's putting it mildly at this point. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm eating shit. A lot of my friends said the same thing. Um, you know, shout out to my friend Garvin. He called the trade being pretty solid, and I told him he doesn't know anything about basketball. Um, granted, he's a Knicks fan, so I also take things into consideration very lightly when he gives me basketball advice. But, you know, overall, uh, it, it, it's turning out to be really good. Again, I can only hope that it continues in the successful manner that it has been because we all know come postseason time, it could be a whole different story. Yeah, but no, this team looks looks like they're rounding into form. They're rounding into form at a good time, and 
hopefully it just works out for the Mavs in the long run because uh, they're definitely looking like a solid uh, playoff team uh, when the re- regular season does come to an end. But uh, with that said, we are going to transition into our last segment of the episode. We're going to focus a little bit about baseball, and we're going to specifically focus on the Los Angeles Dodgers adding Freddie Freeman into the fold after... Good God. I mean... This was one of the biggest free agent acquisitions uh, that the Dodgers could make, and they splashed a huge pickup with Freddie Freeman. Um, Freddie Freeman and the Dodgers, they agreed to a six-year, $162 million deal. And when you look at what the Dodgers are facing with going into the next season, have Freddie Freeman in the fold. It's one thing to retool. This is a upgrade that... Basically, a, basically forms a god squad with the Dodgers going into next season because this this lineup is looking scary with what the Dodgers have at their disposal going into next season. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, with the Dodgers adding Freddie Freeman into the fold going into next season, just how dangerous are the Dodgers looking next season? Dude, the topic of the damn segment, the Avengers, it's the truth. It is scary right now. The Dodgers are the scariest team in baseball. What they've acquired on offense, what they have on defense, what they have in, in, in their bullpen, or in their starting rotation, it's, it's a video game. This is like MLB the show on franchise mode. Like The things that they have in their lineup, guys, listen to this batting order, if hypothetically this is what it would be. Day one, Mookie Betts, Trey Turner, Freddie Freeman, Will Smith, Max Muncy, Justin Turner, Chris Taylor, Cody Bellinger, AJ Pollock. That's an all-star team in five out of nine spots. We all know that Mookie Betts, former MVP. Freddie Freeman, former MVP. That's two, like, right off the bat, we have multiple gold glovers on this team. We have multiple silver slugger award winners on this team. Like, what in God's name are we doing here? We have great veterans, a lot of former champions. We have people that are up and coming and making moves in the MLB that found their way to L.A. or have just found their way up the farm system in L.A. and have found a way to be on this lineup. The Dodgers organization is very well put together from top to bottom in terms of depth, in terms of pitching staff, and now you go and add another gold glove another MVP, another champion to bring that veteran presence into the locker room, into the dugout, it's not even a joke anymore. They have literally assembled the Infinity Gauntlet because they have one of the best, if not the best lineups in the entire league. And it's to me, it's not even close. Freddie Freeman adds that, that much of a dynamic, and that's a for sure lockdown first baseman that is just – Now Max Muncy can just strictly play DH because now DH is a universal position with the new uh, MLBPA agreement that they had. That's that's just scary. So with all of that being said, the Dodgers are no joke, and they're my favorites to win this year's World Series. Yeah, Kevin, there's not really much else that I can add. Usually I make a point about when you add somebody like Freddie Freeman's caliber to a team, you know, it, it has an impact as far as, you know, what what's out there on the field, but also having a locker room presence like that is invaluable. I can't really say that in this instance, just because the Dodgers have been there and they've done that. 
And, and to me, we were kind of talking about this in a different segment when we were talking about the Los Angeles Rams when they added Allen Robinson into the fold. I mentioned that it was an embarrassment of riches with the Rams when they add someone like that to the roster. It's essentially the same thing with what the Dodgers added with Freddie Freeman. I mean, Freddie Freeman is coming off of a World Series championship year with the Atlanta Braves, and it just adds to a roster that has won World Series in the past before, and I find it really hard to believe that I don't see a scenario where these guys don't end up in a World Series within the next year or so. Because they were able to bring Clayton Kershaw back into the fold going into next season. They not only did that as far as retooling the roster goes, but to upgrade it with Freddie Freeman's presence. I mean, there's really not much else that I can say other than the Dodgers are just going to be a nightmare to deal with. And granted, when you look at the scope of the National League as a whole, I mean, granted, there are going to be some teams to compete against. I mean, when you look at what they were dealt with last year, they were in a dogfight against the San Francisco Giants in that division by itself. They were two of the best teams, not only just in the National League, but in the entire MLB. And I imagine, even though that they had Freddie Freeman, they're going to have Freddie Freeman in the fold next year. The Giants are still going to give them a, a challenge just because that Giants roster is not to be trifled with. But when you add Freeman, I think this puts the Dodgers one step ahead of the Giants just because they did lose Chris Bryant to the Rockies in free agency. So that could be something that we have to pay attention to going into the season and as the season unfolds. But all in all, there are very few teams that are going to be able to compete with this roster that the Dodgers have assembled. I'm kind of struggling to really find one that would actually try to beat this team in in a, in a five or seven game series. But this team is looking scary right now. And I think if I'm a betting man, I'm putting a lot of money on the Dodgers right now just because this roster and this lineup, they are loaded and they're ready to make a statement. This team could go out there and win 110 games, 115 games, if they just go out there and play their cards right. That's just how I see it. Dude, it's first of all, let's, let's give a little, you know, quick shout out, man. The MLB's back. Thank God. Okay. Listen, I'm ready for the New York Yankees to go out there and break my heart, okay? I just, I love me some baseball. I love talking about it. I love the fact that we are talking about MLB free agency, you know, NFL free agency. It's a good season coming up. It's going to be a great time. Am I happy about spring training traffic? Not even close. But another opportunity to see my boys in person, you know, obviously since leaving New York, I miss going to the Yankee games. I miss going to the stadium. So, um just excited to see, you know, the Yankees try to gear it up for your ring 28, even though I know it's not happening. So just so happy baseball's back, bro. Absolutely. I, you know, granted, it's going to start off a little bit later this year than normal. But, I mean, all in all, I am kind of glad that they they were able to come to an agreement to end the lockout just because um, things were not looking really good, even like up until like a week ago. Uh, things were looking kind of dicey with the MLB. But um, they were able to make the uh, the deals that needed to be made. And now they're going to be back on the field and, you know, they're going to be starting uh, in April pretty soon. So it's definitely going to be fun when these guys hit the field, when the regular season starts. I'm hyped. I'm ready for it. But Kyle, it's almost two in the morning. I believe it's time to uh, wrap this one on up. Yeah. I mean, got through these segments actually pretty quick. So 
Not too bad. We had 10 segments. That's a lot of segments to go with. Hey, guys, we apologize for the video issues. Yeah. We tried in every aspect between resetting routers, phones, trying to update apps, just closing just apps. Wasn't happening. Yeah, it, just, it, it wasn't in the cards. And uh, again, you know, we try to give you guys the best content that we can. And we understand that nine times out of 10, more than likely for the people that do listen, um, you're not really looking at our faces unless you have the time to sit there and watch a five to 10 minute video or, you know, if you're on lunch or whatever. But we're just trying to make sure that we get content out. That's the most important part. Yeah. And it's just, you know, hopefully going into our next episode, um, those video issues will be resolved. I, I don't really foresee this being an issue that's going to linger uh, past this episode. We really haven't had that many issues with Discord in the past, and I don't really foresee this one um, being an issue in the foreseeable future. But um, we do apologize for the uh, for the visual uh, te- uh, difficulties with this one, but we'll be back. We'll We'll get it together for uh, the next episode. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, uh, with all that said, guys, we're going to wrap this one up. We are going to uh, just kind of shut this one down and talk to you guys again soon. Kyle, you got anything for us? No, just uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you guys for supporting the podcast, whether it was on YouTube, whether it was on the audio platforms. Definitely appreciate you guys tuning in and I will see you guys next week. Yes, sir. Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed.